and welcome to the Guelph Politicast. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico. Today I talked to Dr. Nicola Mercer, the Medical Officer of Health for Wellington Dufferin Guelph Public Health. Since we're counting down these last few weeks of winter, it seems timely to do another quarterly check-in with Dr. Mercer about the current state of the COVID-19 pandemic and its potential future. As you're listening to this, we're officially in a new phase of the pandemic. More restrictions were lifted on March 1st, and Ontario's Chief Medical Officer of Health is assuring us that it's only a matter of time now until our masking days are behind us. So it's good news, right? Well, maybe. It's been a long, hard winter for us living through this pandemic, so we will ask the local expert if the reason for optimism is indeed real. Still COVID is the topic of this week's Guelph Politicast. In our last edition of Still COVID back in November, the word Omicron was just another Greek letter. That changed pretty rapidly just a couple of weeks after we recorded that last podcast with Dr. Mercer, when the Omicron variant started ripping through the vaccinated and unvaccinated populations alike, which ultimately prompted another brief lockdown in January. At the heart of the recent wave is a question of severity. For the people fully vaccinated and boosted, the symptoms of Omicron were much less severe, but it would be incorrect to say that there were no consequences at all for those catching Omicron. Case counts went way up, and so did hospital admissions. The Guelph General Hospital had three different outbreaks since December. Most public health workers spent their Christmas vacations handing out boosters, and let's not forget those long lineups for the rapid tests. But now things are looking up. Case counts are going down in general, and so are the number of patients in hospitals and in ICUs. As of March 1, all proof of vaccine mandates were lifted here in Ontario. The state of emergency in Guelph has been declared over, and there's a chance that masking requirements will be lifted sometime, perhaps even later this month. On top of that, spring is almost here, and we know that the warmer weather means less time spent indoors and fewer cases of COVID and other seasonal illnesses like the flu or the common cold. It's funny to think that now COVID-19 might be a seasonal illness, but all signs are starting to point that way, and that's definitely one of the things we want to talk to a doctor about. So here, for the eighth time in two years to talk about COVID-19, is Dr. Nicola Mercer. This week, Dr. Mercer joins us on this edition of the Guelph Politicast to talk about what we've learned from the Omicron wave, her considerations for advising an end to the state of emergency, and her thinking about when her public health order about masking might be revoked. We will also discuss how people will have to decide what level of risk they'll accept going forward, whether we've got enough vaccine coverage in terms of people with boosters, and whether the most vulnerable in our population are getting enough consideration as we're reopening. And finally, we will talk about the art of medicine, when school restrictions might be rolled back, and what the future of COVID might look like going forward. So I caught up with Dr. Nicola Mercer last week via Zoom. All right. So, Dr. Nicola Mercer, thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure. Uh, I want to look back for a minute, just like thinking about when we last did one of these. It was like right as Omicron. I think it was like the week Omicron was discovered, if I'm if I'm remembering my timing correct. So a lot's happened. Now that we have a kind of bit of, a bit of hindsight, we're kind of looking at Omicron in the rearview mirror. 
why was it so bad? Like, I guess I, I don't want to phrase it as what went wrong, but I guess that's kind of what I'm getting at because it just seemed to wash right over us. Like almost like we weren't vaccinated at all and to a, to a respect. So, I mean, why was Omicron so bad? Um, well, actually I didn't think it was so bad. So I think I just maybe like to define what so bad <laughs> meant. Um, I, because I think there's two different ways of looking at this. If so bad is the definition is people got sick. Mm. Well, then you're right. It was, it was bad. Lots of people get sick. Estimates are perhaps as many as 6 million people in the province of Ontario uh, got sick over that time. So that's, that's a lot of people. But then if you look at it from a different way to say, did we see, despite having 6 million people get sick, how many of those people got really sick, uh, ended up um, hospitalized, ICU or dying? And what we could see and what really could confirm is that um, Omicron wasn't as bad. And really one of the reasons why it wasn't so bad is because we had very high rates of vaccination going into Omicron. And although our vaccinations did not prevent people from getting sick, not in many cases, uh, booster doses did, but for those who were not able yet to have the booster dose, the vaccinations did prevent people from being hospitalized or having severe disease and or ICU admissions or death. So that was a very important thing. So yes, we did have lots of people ill. I'm sure we all know people that went through their families. And I hope also it it really shows people that when we say that we have a pandemic and when it's a respiratory pandemic or an infectious disease pandemic, pandemics can move much faster than we can even protect ourselves, much faster than people realize. So having that knowledge now, I hope when we say to people uh, in a future state, you know, we do have boosters that can protect you and your family from severe disease. And sometimes our boosters can prevent people from getting sick at all, uh, that people remember, yeah, when, when these things hit, we need to go quickly to get our vaccines. We don't have much time. Right. I think, I think where people kind of struggle is, um, as you say, if you were fully vaccinated and you were able to get your booster, you were much less likely to have some severe symptoms or to die. On the other hand, um, you know, there was that increasing number of cases. And I mean, there have been times, I think we've seen people act in a way that suggests that the, the, the pandemic is over, that uh, being vaccinated, whether it was two or three doses, was a hundred percent shield. Um, I, I guess I, I'm wondering, in terms of communications, and I see people on social media struggle with this too. That you know, saying Omicron wasn't as severe, which makes people act in ways that can invite severe illness. Right? That there's kind of a a push pull in terms of the language. I think whenever we're dealing with them. <laughs> people, individuals, as well as uh, uh, diseases. I mean, we, we see this in every infectious disease. Right. Individual behaviors um, is often uh, are not predictable, and <laughs> especially in populations. And populations' behaviors are not always uh, predictable. What we can see is we can see that almost everybody who got a first dose got a second dose. We, we know that. We, we track people. The numbers are impressive across all age groups, 90 8% plus. So almost everybody who got a first dose got a second dose. Mm -hmm. We know that lots of people did not get the third dose. 
mm-hmm. are still not lining up to get the third dose. And trying to understand what people think about that and why they're not getting a third dose, even if it's available to them, I think requires a little bit of, you know, sort of understanding of what 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 is the message that we've given people and, and what are they really hearing. Third doses um, are really uh, important to sort of give the vaccine the sort of longevity. Uh, it all, they really do work to provide you with extra uh, boost in your protection. And even if you've had COVID, gives a broader base of which to go into any future waves. Because despite the measures being restricted or lifted, uh, they're not restricted, they're being lifted. Mm-hmm. Uh, despite that, the virus is not gone away. So as we move forward in time, then it is reasonable to assume that the virus hasn't gone away, that as people become susceptible or for people who are unvaccinated, who are completely susceptible, that we will continue to have cases. Um, And what really, I see the cases, I get notified every time there's a death, for example, uh, you know, well, you just see the numbers on our dashboard. I know a little bit more of the backstory of the cases. And it, the deaths in our community are deaths of the unvaccinated. Mm. So for everybody out there who you got your two doses, you did the right thing. It is preventing people from dying. Um, and if you haven't had a, a booster dose yet, you know, your pharmacies have it, we have it you know, just make it convenient. I'm not saying to, you know, you have to rush out this moment, but when the next time you're in a pharmacy, a grocery store, um, you know, ask if they've got the vaccine, just get, just get your booster dose. It'll take you five minutes, 10 minutes. It takes any time at all. And it just gives you that little extra uh, protection. And, you know, this might be the time with nobody booking appointments and nobody waiting in line and that maybe the pharmacist has a couple of minutes to spare. And they have vaccine too, right? They have the vaccine, yeah. Um, Just to confirm, like that is kind of a 100% number, like everyone in our region who's died of COVID was unvaccinated? No, I don't want to say 100%. I'm talking about community living Community, okay. So we have had people in our long-term care homes and retirement homes who have been vaccinated. Our frail elderly remain vulnerable, which is why we are providing fourth doses to them. They're a very different population, our frail elderly. So certainly we have seen individuals, um, uh, in particular in our long-term care and uh, high-risk retirement homes who have been vaccinated and who have passed away. But the community living cases that I continue to track, um, in my memory, I'm not saying it's perfect, but in my memory, they're all, they're all unvaccinated. Right. Uh, people who are vulnerable, um, to, to a number of illnesses will be vulnerable to, to COVID, even if they're vaccinated. Um, you talked about, and, uh, we were talking about just a second ago, the, the different kind of rates of vaccination. So I, I, according to my memory from yesterday, we are at about 90% of people who are eligible in the region who got one shot, um, about 87% who have gotten their two shots, but about 60% who've gotten three shots. And I'm guess, you know, using as much of your sort of experience as you can, um, is that good community protection with, you know, having 
like nine out of 10 people as we'll probably get there. Nine out of 10 people with two shots, even if we have like maybe one, two thirds of people with three shots. Yeah. I, I think that, um, we have, we do have, and people have really done the right thing about getting their, their two doses, especially in Guelph. Guelph is phenomenal. We are so close to 95% of uh, our population, eligible population, having two doses. It's, it's really quite remarkable, really amazing, keeping our population safe. Um, what we, we are missing is our booster doses are, are much lower. And, and I think it's, I don't think people are as aware of the need for it, or we mm. haven't painted. I myself haven't painted a good enough reason for you to get your booster dose. You know, well, I got the two. I'm fully vaccinated. I can get into a restaurant. I can get into a gym. I can show my little green check mark. Why do I need the third dose? And it's really because we know the, the vaccine wanes, and especially against Omicron. Uh, Delta is probably still pretty good protection. But even if you get a booster dose, it does boost your protection against Delta. And we don't really know what the next variant's going to be. And there will be another one. Um, and so I, I just think that everybody who did who got their two doses, you know, that did the right thing. I mean, 95% of people got two doses. It's, it's rare to find that, but clearly the booster dose hasn't resonated with as many people. And there's lots of people who I would call high risk who need mm. their booster dose. If you're over, if you're 50 years of age and over, you really need that booster dose because those are who we do see getting the most severe disease. If you're pregnant, Mm. If you have, if you're immunocompromised, these, these are the groups that we know are at higher risk. We see it time and time again. And the first, second doses and the third doses are so important for these age groups. And we still have a ways to go to improve those vaccination rates. So I guess if people are listening, I know people are going to be listening who haven't had their booster dose yet. You think they don't need it. I think I had COVID, um, you know, I'm just asking uh, people to, you know, for their sake and for mm. the sake of the, their family, you know, you know, their loved ones around them, just, you know, I mean, the next time you're, you know, it's not a big deal and we'll be more than happy to provide it to you. And I, I know it's probably not what people want. And some people are really nervous about vaccines, but anyway. That's all fair. I, I think one of the big questions I, I, you know, I've seen come up online is, um, People worried about the vulnerable, especially as we're kind of lifting restrictions. Um, we've kind of heard that a lot, that if you're kind of immunocompromised, if you are uh, have particular health issues, you're kind of more at stake. And I guess, how do you answer those concerns uh, from community members that, you know, the sort of desire to free ourselves of restrictions might be placing some of our vulnerable population in, in um, a precarious position? Well, I think there's two ways to look at that. I mean, vulnerable people need to continue to, to do the individual personal measures that, that they can to protect themselves, including making sure you're up to date with your vaccines, you know, you wear a mask, don't go to places which puts you at risk. But then there's the other part of it as to what can we do more broadly to protect people who are vulnerable. So if you have people in your family um, who say children under five, like who can't be vaccinated, if you have grandparents, parents, people in your circle who are vulnerable, then do it for them. Like, you know, get your booster dose to protect them as opposed to even if you're not particularly worried about yourself. I know a lot of people, I'm 28. I'm not worried. I'm healthy. You know, I, I don't need it for me. No, you, maybe you don't need it for you, but 
uh, but do it for others. Um, that would be, you know, it's a very altruistic way of, of speaking, but I, I know that many, many people get their flu shot to protect their grandparents or the grand, or, you know, as they, uh, you know, in the fall. And I think we, we need to think about doing it, doing just doing our little part in the puzzle that will make this pandemic just end so much faster. Right. And I want to, I wanted to ask you this question too, because it kind of comes from the same place and it's weirdly, and I was thinking about this yesterday, it's weirdly kind of the opposite problem to what we've had with people who believe in conspiracy theories about COVID or that it's not as severe or it's just a cold or all that. But I'm seeing some people on social media who are saying, I can't believe they're taking vaccine certification off, or I can't believe they're undoing this restriction. They are worried that there's kind of like a political um, impediment being used to open up the economy and open up businesses as a way to, I don't know, reclaim normalcy and score political points on that. I guess, how do you, how do you talk to people? How do you offer them assurances that the decisions being made on a public health level to undo restrictions are sort of being based on science and data and not on politics? <laughs> well, I think well, that's a tough question. It is. Uh, I would suggest that it doesn't matter what decisions are made. People always bring to the table their underlying beliefs, values, and opinions, right? So so that, that applies across everything, whether it's um, uh, government policies or individual decisions. So we, that, that's just a broad background. I think when we look at the, re- the easing of restrictions, I think one thing we have to recognize is that we can't keep them in place forever. Mm. And uh, certainly if the trucker protest is misguided and as uh, challenging as it was to us, I think it showed us that um, the pandemic did not impact everyone equally. Mm. There are people, and and I've said this to various groups in the past, there are people who are not particularly impacted by the pandemic. You had a job which allowed you to work from home. You were fully, uh, you, you know, you received your full salary. Some people benefited from the pandemic. They weren't commuting. They didn't have to pay for gas. Their their particular business was popular and, and their services were required or their, you know, their products were required. So they actually sold more or did more. Um, so it it didn't impact people equally. Service industry was particularly negatively impacted. Um, we also know, though, that it also impacted the poor more than it impacted the wealthy. Right. So people with more white collar jobs that can you know work from home and on a computer were less impacted than those that um, were working in a factory or or require their job required them to work in person, especially in the service industry. Uh, so we we do know that in, uh, communities, uh, the most marginalized communities, those communities in particular of color, uh, racial highly racialized communities, they were more negatively impacted. So if we sort of take the big picture, take it all together to say, is there going to be a perfect time to re- loosen restrictions? No. Uh, the restrictions are going to, whenever date we choose, there's still going to be, the virus is still going to be out there for many, many years. So is it too soon or too late? I think that's going to be a matter of where you sit and the view right. that you have. The most important thing though is, is that we need to, we've trained people for almost two years now on the measures that individuals can take to keep themselves safe. 
And those measures aren't going away. We're not. So even if mass mandates uh, disappear, you can still take the measures to wear a mask yourself, not go to crowded places, not go to places where people aren't wearing masks and that you can't keep your distance. So there's still things that you can do as individuals, mm-hmm. albeit they don't feel maybe quite, they don't make you feel quite as safe. Maybe now you feel more centered out. Um, but those are things that we can take with us out of the pandemic. And, you know, I guess restrictions could always be put back in place. I don't think that anybody wants to that's uh, certainly not what you want to happen but. right i think that's I, I think at the beginning of the pandemic there was this message like at one point there will be an end and i mean a lot of that was sort of like commercials i literally saw it in a commercial like two minutes ago they're still playing that gum commercial where it's everyone gets the message on their phone that the pandemic's over and they can all go out and hug each other again that's not the end of the pandemic we're thinking of anymore <laughs> from a public well, health point of view. Yeah. Well, we, we early on, there's always the hope that mm. if you, if you, uh, if you prevent the virus from finding hosts, then it will go away. Right. It will not be able to find another host to reproduce in. So therefore it goes away. And that, and that's really why the early part of the pandemic was all about staying home and preventing people from interacting because if we could do that long enough then we could break the cycle and the pandemic theoretically would go away Mm -hmm. but that didn't happen and it is no longer possible for the pandemic to go away though this virus is not going to just disappear so it's probably going to be sort of a circulating human uh virus for for maybe forever uh, in terms of uh, what we're looking at the same way as common cold or influenza. These are things that are, are with us forever. So if we think about that, it's not going away, that the end of the pandemic is going to be more of a, of a sort of a sizzle and a whimper than a, than a, than a bang. I'm afraid it, it, we're going to look back and we're going to say, hmm, I think pretty much that's when we got back to normal. And uh, right. but at the time, I'm not so sure that we'll be able to, uh, to see it right there's there's not going to be any sort of like march 16th equivalent at the end it's i i guess having said that i think we talked before about covid kind of becoming a seasonal illness i wonder if you know what's what happened this winter is kind of like a you know a, a proof of that i mean it's it's one year but at the same time december came cases went up we're, we're now entering spring cases are going down. Uh, it's maybe, maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, but that seems pretty seasonal to me. Um, well, we know it's a respiratory virus and most respiratory viruses in Northern hemispheres do have a seasonality to them um, based on the fact that we spend a lot of our summers outdoors when the weather's warm. So we have different kinds of social interactions. And then when the weather turns cold, um, and the kids go back to school uh, in the fall, then we go indoors. So the, the things, the seasonality of it is probably uh, more related to human behavior, although um, some viruses do thrive more in warmer, uh, certain types of climates. Right. Uh, so yeah, I, I do anticipate that we've got three to six months of particularly good ahead of us in terms of low incidence and low rates, but then we will all head back indoors again. The children will go back to school in September. And typical with respiratory viruses like influenza, we should likely see um, more cases in the fall. And the good news is, though, is that there will, I can guarantee you, there will be a COVID vaccine in the fall, another booster. Right. 
So for people who are worried, you know, let's, let's get, let's get the booster out there and, and especially in high risk groups. But if I could have 95% of Guelph people sign up for that booster next fall, we wouldn't have to worry about, you know, our, our institutions, our workplaces, our Christmas parties being impacted, our, you know, so if we could just, if we can get enough boosters, then I, I think we can actually look forward to a, a relatively normal type of uh, indoor season. Treat it like a flu shot where you start organizing people in October instead of everyone trying to get a booster the last week before Christmas. Yes. <laughs> uh, I, I kind of want to pick your brain a little looking to you know, the ending of restrictions, you um, put your signature on both Wellington County, actually Wellington, Dufferin and Guelph, um, ending their states of emergency on March 1st, which is yesterday, as if people are listening to this when when the episode airs. Um, can you talk a bit about your thinking uh, and, and why you that was a confident decision um, from from a public health standpoint, you know what 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 went through your head in terms of um, signing off on ending the state of emergency? Yeah, that's a great question. So we can't live in a state of emergency forever. It it does have to end. Uh, so you try to think about well, what 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 makes sense? What what is it that we're having a state of emergency for? What is it that allows us to do? Why are we using it? And do we continue to need to use that particular tool at this point in time? And when we sort of looked at a overarching view, and, and this is not the first time we've considered removing the uh, the state of emergency, certainly there was a very active discussion uh, prior to Omicron. <laughs> they came Omicron. And uh, it was very easy at that time to say, yeah, no, this is not the time. Uh, so, you know, we have between now and March 1st, and uh, for, I guess, people who are listening after March 1st, you know, assuming nothing happens, which I'm not seeing in my crystal ball right now, then, then we don't have a, a, a governance reason to keep our communities under a state of emergency. Mm-hmm. Getting back to sort of doubts, um, we know that testing capacity isn't what it used to be still. Um, we are seeing the case rates go down, or at least the number of confirmed cases. Um, how can we be sure that the the, the, the rate of cases is sort of where the numbers say it is since we don't have the testing, if you follow where I'm going. Well, you're right. We don't have the testing because the testing changed, but the testing has been consistent uh, since December, the middle of December. So with that consistency, you can see over time that, that there's still a consistency. So the decline is still a true decline. It's just a smaller group that are being eligible for, for testing. Right. So, so it's still accurate in that, that the numbers are going down. And I think people in our own lives can, can attest to the fact that, well, I don't know as many people are sick, you know, more people, we can see that um, outbreak numbers, we can see that, you know, uh, even when I was checking in with our hospitals this week, the number of employees who are off sick has declined dramatically. Mm. Right? So that's just a number, that's just a, a, you know, an indicator, a different kind of indicator that we're, we're doing better. So, I mean, it, it's, I guess we're kind of, you kind of have to look at all the indicators and if all the indicators are going down, then you can make a, a reasonably good inference that the number of COVID cases in the community is going down no matter what the precise number is. Yeah, and it makes sense too, if you think about it, that if, if, if 6 million uh, Ontarians got this 
got COVID since uh, it came into uh, Ontario. That's a lot of people. Mm. And we add a lot of people have had booster doses. So what we do know is that as you go out there and look around in Guelph and you're interacting, you're in a restaurant, you're in a gym or whatever, the chances are that half the people that you are meeting now have had COVID, mm. right? At least once, some of them more than once. And 95% of the people that you are meeting are double vaccinated. Right. And I, in Guelph, about 60% have had the booster in some populations. Some populations it's higher, in some populations it's lower. So, you know, that's what that's what we do know. That's that's some of that risk mitigation we're hearing yeah. about. Um, well, here's the big question then. Um, oh, I thought they had <laughs> some big questions already. <laughs> well, some questions are bigger than others, but uh, we talked about the importance of masks, but I think a lot of people wouldn't mind getting rid of theirs, <laughs> yeah. Cl- closing their mask drawer. I have a mask drawer, <laughs> but yeah. um, I-, I guess, you know, for people who are looking for that, I guess that sign that maybe not, even if it's just like not everywhere, uh, I don't have to go wear a mask everywhere I go anymore. You know, I, I guess what, what are, what's kind of the, the scientific um, indicators you're looking at to, to end, cause it's also important to note it is a public health order uh, coming from your desk. So um, y- you were kind of the one who will be able to make that call. So um, what are kind of the things you're looking for? Yeah, thanks for the big question. So first of all, yes, there is a a mask order. Um, There actually is also a provincial order in place right now. So there's a regulation. So there's two. And my my mask order has been in place since prior to the provincial order, but there is a provincial order. Um, The provincial mask mandate uh, will be lifted by the province with the guidance of the CMOH. Um, I'm not sure of the date on that. I haven't been told. We sometimes don't get given much notice. I'm anticipating, this is just crystal ball, that there will be a lot of questions and about it. And by the end of March, I would think that there will be a lot of uh, uh, encouragement, shall we say, to remove the mask order, at least uh, politically. So I am anticipating that the province will remove their mask order sometime in the next four weeks to eight weeks, somewhere mm. they will decline. At that point in time, I believe I will remove my order as well. And the reasons for me doing that are that in order to retain it, you, ha- you have to have a reason to. I can't just order people to do things that are, you know, unpleasant or, you know, <laughs> you, you actually have to, you actually have to believe that there's a, a risk right. and you have to have the science to prove it. I did when I put it in place. Um, although it was also a little bit of a, of a, what I call the art of medicine at that point in time too. All the studies hadn't been done at that time. They came out uh, shortly thereafter, but it was the, the, the writing was on the wall as far as I was concerned when I put it on, in place that I was willing to be wrong on that side of the fence, but not be wrong on the not wearing mask side. Right. So better safe looked, than sorry. Yes, I, I thought that it was it was the right thing to do at that time, which which turned out to be the right call. But you know, you never know when you make these calls. I do believe, though, that I will not have the science to support retaining my mask order any longer than what the province does. And I will, though, I still continue to recommend it. 
Mm. Because I think for especially, we have to remember that masks really protect others. They do some types of masks protect yourselves. Uh, but if you're wearing, a, if you have a drawer full of masks that you wash, uh, cloth masks, they, they, they protect others. So if, uh, you know, if, if Adam's not feeling well, my first statement would be Adam should stay home. <laughs> you know, he shouldn't go out. <laughs> uh, but if Adam needs to go out because he's got a doctor's appointment or he has to go to a pharmacy or grocery store so he can eat, then Adam should wear a face covering. That's going to be hard when people aren't wearing face coverings. I think it was, I think when we put them on, we all felt weird, you know, you put a mask on, you look around, you know, especially when you were early, the first few days, people felt awkward wearing masks. Um, people don't feel awkward wearing masks now because everybody's got a mask on. In fact, you notice the people who aren't wearing masks, right? Yeah. So there was that, there's that opposite sense. When we take them off, I think there's going to be that still same sense of oh, taking my mask off. You know? <laughs> it's <gonna> feel weird. <laughs> Yeah. And also the opposite feeling if you're sort of the the more cautious type and you're still in the store wearing your mask when others are not. But Well, and we, and we have to recognize that people may be doing it to protect others. And I think you're just going to see that the use of masks is going to continue in healthcare settings uh, for a long time. Right? Or because, protect themselves uh, if they're vulnerable, right? Yep. Yeah, and for people who are wearing a mask, maybe they're vulnerable. Maybe they have somebody in their family who's newly entering chemotherapy or, or has an organ transplant or some reason that we don't know. So we, we need to always make sure that we have compassion and and as as well as being very tolerant of, of the variants, the various differences in people's family circumstances. Right. And I mean, this isn't like part of your responsibility, though, but I mean, there, I, I being a sometimes practicing pessimist can see it, you know, being kind of a social stigma for some people. And, you know, so we, we do kind of have to practice as, as you say, compassion that people have their reasons. Um, and it's not just because um, somebody's trying to make a statement, shall we say. Yeah, I agree. Um, one of the other things I wanted to ask you about was um, the precautions for the school kids. Um, I, I, you know, the, the kids five and over are getting vaccinated too. But I know that um, a lot of kids um, and parents are concerned about, you know, things like cohorting and uh, not being able to interact with each other and perhaps uh, ways that we, we like to think kids should be able to interact. So um, are, is there any particular difference in the way, you know, public health, the lifting of restrictions or the maintaining of restrictions is going to apply to the school kids differently. I mean, school's a unique setting. And I, I, I think I saw Dr. Isaac Bogosh talk about this the other day that, you know, it's sort of the one place in Ontario uh, schools where, you know, you put 2 million people into the same building, <laughs> not, not literally, of course, but, you know, you put hundreds of kids in the same building for eight hours a day. It's, it's a little bit different from uh, what many adults experience uh, every day. Yeah. And children obviously don't respect that six foot distance very well at all. And that's no, normal don't. for that. So that's normal for that their age group. Um, I, I think we're going to see continued restrictions on schools. I, I really encourage families to think about vaccines. You know, vaccines are safe. They they are effective, and they will protect your child. Um, you know, from the bad outcomes of COVID that we rare they rarely occur, but they do occur. But even if it's rare. Uh, you know, you can do that to protect your child. So I would encourage that. The number one thing we need to get is, you know, some schools are highly vaccinated. We have a lot of kids in, in, in some schools that are, they're all vaccinated and in other mm. schools, 
much lower rates. So if you, if you, um, I would suspect though that the parents who are worried about this are the ones who've already gone out and got their kids vaccinated. But you're right. listening and you're still thinking, thinking about it because you're not sure it's the safe thing to do for your children. That you know we have had millions and millions of children vaccinated. These vaccines are really safe. I wouldn't be wouldn't be saying that. I you know I, my children are a little bit older; they're vaccinated, but I, I would I have no hesitation in saying that vaccines are the safer option for your children if you're worried about the uh, the effects of the vaccine versus the effects of covid mm. i would definitely be more concerned about the effects of covid mm-hmm. which are still largely unknowable which is kind of you know it's it, that's going to be a pretty big issue going forward is the ones who had who, it may continue to have long covid and yeah. um long term even possible in children too yeah uh, since we're talking about schools and vaccinations, I, I wanted to save a bit of time at the end to talk about the the regular vaccine program. Um, so I, I realized that public health sent out a, a letter informing parents who might have missed those vaccines. Um, can you talk a bit about uh, what's going on there? Um, well, vaccines are important generally. So we've had two years in the schools where children missed their vaccines or were incomplete. They may have got the first one, they didn't get the second one. So it, it really starts with parents understanding, oh, you know, did my kid get all their shots? Um, so if, and if, you're, if you have any questions about it, you can always call us, we can try and figure that out for you in public health. But it really, really important as a parent is to ensure your children get these vaccines that they may have missed. We're offering, we're going back in the schools, kids who are in grade seven right now, we're trying to get them their vaccines. But if your child is in grade uh, eight or nine, possibly even 10. If your child is, is in any of those age groups, please just, just have a thought about, oh, I wonder if they got their grade seven vaccines. Maybe they missed them. Uh, and Because we need to catch them up. And there's lots of ways that we can do it, whether it's through a public health clinic, it's through your family doctor. Uh, so we, we need to get your child's vaccines. And they're important because the vaccines that have been offered that are missed are the meningitis one. So you really, especially if your child's going, you know, your child's got, if you've got a 14 or 15 year old, they've got years at risk and maybe going to college or university, please check their meningitis vaccine. Hepatitis, it's still with us. You know, hepatitis is a, a vaccine preventable disease. It works well. It protects you for life. If your kid wants to go traveling or do any exotic kind of traveling, hepatitis B is an important vaccine. And then the third one is HPV for boys and girls. This is an anti-cancer vaccine. And if you age out, meaning that you're in your, uh, and I'm not sure what age, they keep moving the age, but if you go beyond into your 20s and you haven't had this HPV vaccine, it is extraordinarily expensive. Um, mm. I think each dose is $400. So if you think of, if you th- change your mind or your kid changes their mind when they're 25, they may not be eligible. In fact, they probably aren't going to be eligible to get it. And it's very expensive. It's an anti-cancer vaccine. Um, no hesitation about making sure my kids got those vaccines because uh, that's what we can do to you know, protect them as they, as they go into adulthood. Get all your shots is still the message. So uh, mm-hmm. Dr. Mercer, I know we kind of brushed right up against time, but I wanted to get that uh, portion in there too, but I, I appreciate all your time and uh, thanks for sitting down to chat with me again. Oh, it is my pleasure as always, Adam. And once again, that was Dr. Nicola Mercer, and you can stay on top of all the latest COVID-19 precautions and statistics at the Wellington Dufferin Guelph Public Health website at wdgpublichealth.ca.
And that is it for this edition of the Guelph Politicast. The music for the Guelph Politicast comes from KPM Classics and Sid Dale. The Guelph Politicast is usually recorded at CFRU, Guelph Campus and Community Radio, out of the University of Guelph. And to learn more about CFRU, go to CFRU.ca. You can download the Guelph Politicast every Wednesday from Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. And when you subscribe to the Guelph Politicast channel, you will get an episode of Open Sources Guelph on Mondays and an episode of End Credits on Fridays. You can follow Guelph Politico on social media at Guelph Politico on Twitter and at Politico Guelph on Facebook. You can follow me at Adam A. Donaldson on Twitter and Instagram, and you can send me an email to adamadonaldson at gmail.com. If you would like to help financially support the work of Guelph Politico, you can certainly do that, and you can get all that information at guelphpolitico.ca slash donate. And thank you to everyone that does take a moment to kick back a few bucks into the Politico piggy bank. Meanwhile, for all the latest local political news, check out guelphpolitico.ca, where we will have a new episode of the Guelph Politicast for you next week. And until then, we'll see you next time.